Namaste and welcome to Pods by PEI, a policy discussion series brought to you by Policy Entrepreneurs, Inc. My name is Kushiang. In today's episode, which is the first of a two-part series, we have Anurag Acharya, Director of Practice at PEI, in conversation with Ambassador Ranjit Ray. Ambassador Ray is a retired Indian diplomat. During his tenure of over 30 years in the Indian Foreign Service, he held various positions, including the Ambassador of India to Vietnam and Hungary, the first Secretary of the Permanent Mission of India to the United Nations in New York, and the head of the Northern Division in the Ministry of External Affairs dealing with Nepal and Bhutan. From 2013 to 2017, Ambassador Ray served as the Indian Ambassador to Nepal. During these years, Nepal witnessed some historic events including the promulgation of a new constitution and the earthquake of 2015. This was also a tumultuous period in the Nepal-India relationship, about which Ambassador Ray has discussed extensively in his recent book, Kathmandu Dilemma, Resetting India-Nepal Ties. In today's episode, Anurag begins the conversation by asking Ambassador Ray to reflect on his tenure in the Indian Foreign Service and to highlight any specific experiences that helped shape his worldview as a diplomat. The two also discussed the nuances of India's foreign policy tenets, especially with regard to Nepal and what it means to be posted in Kathmandu. They also examine India's multifaceted role in Nepal as a friendly neighbor, a long-standing development partner, and an emerging power with strong geopolitical interests. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the conversation, Ambassador Ray. Let's begin from the beginning. You graduated from Delhi School of Economics uh, before joining Indian Foreign Services, which is one of the most uh, competitive institutions in India in terms of career choices. Was it something that you al- always wanted to do? Well, not really. You know, my background was in economics. And immediately after finishing my post-graduation, I got a job at St. Stephen's College. So I was teaching. But in those days, there were not too many options uh, for people like me. You know, you could either go into the private sector or join the government or go into academics. And I was keen on academics, but, you know, studying in the U.S. was quite expensive. And like most of my colleagues, I also gave the UPSC exams. You know, these are the competitive exams that you referred to and got into the foreign service. Well, that seems to be quite common in this part of the world, isn't it? But uh, there, must, there must have been quite a few stumbling blocks as well. But what motivated you to continue to uh, you know, aspire for joining the foreign service? Well, to tell you truthfully, uh, you know, I was not so happy when I got the Indian Foreign Service because we have two major services. One is the foreign services and the other is the Indian Administrative Service, which is the you know, civil service, uh, home civil service. And in the home civil service, my sense was that you could do much more for the country, and especially in tangible terms, you know, you could improve the lives of the people. Whereas the foreign service was something quite remote, uh, and the benefits are intangible. You know, you don't really see the outcome of your efforts uh, immediately. So when I got into the foreign service, I actually wanted to change to the administrative service. But that wasn't allowed uh, by our authorities. So it was the Indian Foreign Service for me. And in retrospect, I must say it's been a very enriching, very rewarding career, something I've greatly enjoyed. And I now understand that you can really contribute very substantially uh, to national interest, uh, you know, to the goals of your country. 
Well, uh, that's, that's quite an interesting uh, thing that you say that uh, it wasn't your uh, first choice, uh, career choice, because you've, you've obviously had a very illustrious and, and long career during which you were posted uh, around the world, including in Vietnam, Hungary, as well as uh, UN missions uh, to Kosovo and New York, to name a few. Um, you also headed the North Division that looks at Nepal and Bhutan for quite some time. And of course, then your final assignment was in Nepal as an ambassador. Can you share some of uh, uh, your, your experiences that have uh, motivated or shaped you as, as a diplomat? Well, my earliest experiences were really with multilateral diplomacy. You know, my first posting was in Vienna, Austria. And believe it or not, that was the first time I had traveled in a plane. Uh, and that was the first time that, uh, you know, I went to Europe. So it was really a mind-boggling experience. You know, just imagine somebody from Delhi who's never been abroad uh, and, you know, suddenly at a young age, you're in Europe. Fascinating experience. And there in Vienna, we have a lot of United Nations organizations. So our ambassador made me his assistant. And I really got a glimpse into the world of multilateral diplomacy. And I realized that, you know, one thing a diplomat must have is patience because you have, you know, over a hundred countries negotiating and it's not easy. And the other thing I realized is that, uh, you know, you have to negotiate, you have to discuss, you have to use your power of logic, rational thinking, reasoning uh, in order to forge some sort of agreement, a compromise. So I think it was a very good learning experience. And my second posting, I was a second secretary, was in Uganda, uh, in Africa, which is a very different country. Very unstable at that time, a lot of civil disturbances. And I remember we had to evacuate the Indian community uh, from Uganda because of the civil war. And I was the, sh you know, the acting high commissioner of the mission at that time. So there I realized how important the Indian diaspora is. So, you know, these were some of my sort of very early learning experiences. Of course, Nepal came much later in my career, but possibly the most fascinating uh, time of my career, I would say. Talking about Nepal, whenever a new ambassador is uh, posted to Nepal, there's a lot of uh, media attention and, and speculation about the background and the experience uh, that, that the person brings. But tell us, what does the job, uh, Nepal job, uh, mean within the Indian foreign policy establishment? So within the foreign policy establishment, it's probably, I think, one of our most important assignments. Uh, uh, you know, I think neighborhood, you know, the countries of our neighborhood are perhaps the most critical. Because in today's uh, globalized world, in today's interdependent world, uh, you know, no country is an island. And the only way you can grow together, the only way you can emerge as a, as a power is if you carry your neighbors along. And so the neighborhood is extremely, very, very important, I would say. I was also a staff officer to a foreign secretary. And from my experience, almost 80 to 90% of the time of the foreign secretary was taken by the neighborhood. And equally for our um, leadership, the political leadership of the country, I think neighborhood is really the most important. So very, very important aspect of, uh, 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 of foreign policy of, of any country, uh, I would say. And at a personal level, I think, uh, you know, because I had been joint secretary heading the division dealing with Nepal, you know, I was familiar with Nepal. And, you know, I, I really loved this country. 
the people, you know, the, the, the great diversity of Nepal, uh, the mountains. So both at a professional and a personal level, um, it was a fascinating experience. Well, talking about the history and legacy, there's, of course, a lot of that uh, in the bilateral ties between Nepal and India, isn't it? And then uh, to go back at least to uh, uh, those that, that go at least back to medieval times, if not more. And, and then uh, during the modern times, we've seen leaders and governments on both sides standing shoulder to shoulder with each other during the freedom as well as uh, democratic movements. Does it overwhelm or burden or challenge a diplomat uh, coming to uh, Nepal? Uh, what were your feelings when you first arrived over here? Well, I, I was very excited. You know, for me, this was a dream posting. And as I said, it's unlike any other posting. Uh, and you have many diverse channels of communication between India and Nepal. There are familial ties, you know, ties of kinship. There is, of course, the official channel. There is the cooperation between our security and border guarding forces, the business communities, the relationship with the neighboring states. So it's a very diverse uh, uh, relationship and many channels. So it's perhaps also one of our most complex relationships because of some of the history that you mentioned. So it's really very challenging. And, you know, you, how, how you reconcile you know, the objectives of all the actors and players in this relationship, and sometimes there may be differences, is pretty challenging and hence uh, so much more interesting. Bilateral ties, of course, uh, evolved with uh, new realities. But we also talk about, uh, you know, continuity in foreign policy. Uh, and, and when we talk about uh, India-Nepal uh, relationship, what are some of the unique uh, policy priorities or, or asks of government of India for Nepal job that have remained uh, unchanged or unwavering over the years compared to some others that are quite flexible in that regard? Well, I think two fundamental priorities of the government of India and Nepal, and I dare say in the entire neighborhood, the first relates to development cooperation. You know, I think we realize very much that India cannot grow until we have a peaceful and secure neighborhood and until this neighborhood is integrated in economic terms. So I think that's a fundamental priority. And the second priority, I think, relates to security. And especially with countries like Nepal and Bhutan, with whom we have open borders, I think uh, both sides have to be very sensitive to the security concerns because, you know, our territories can be used uh, for purposes that are inimical to the interests of one or the other country or perhaps even of both countries. So the security dimension is also very important. So I would say that these two priorities remain constant, uh, uh, you know, historically. I don't think uh, there's any change in these priorities. Uh, and, and I dare say that is the case today as well. And what are some of the others uh, that are quite flexible or, or evolving in that regard? So, you know, I tend to focus more on the strategic interests. And what I referred to earlier were the strategic priorities. But, you know, there would be from time to time, there would be short-term issues that need to be resolved or discussed. And, you know, there may be positions that the two governments take depending on the short-term objectives. Uh, but I think that we must always keep in mind our longer-term strategic vision, which is of an interdependent, integrated, common economic space, where every country in our region 
uh, can exploit its uh, comparative advantage to the full and every country benefits from this cooperation. As I've mentioned earlier, Indian ambassadors arriving in Kathmandu are seen to be wielding, you know, quite a significant influence compared to, you know, other, you know, foreign envoys or ambassadors. To an extent that uh, they are sometimes blamed for meddling or micromanaging, you've been at the receiving end of this uh, as well. How fair is this uh, image uh, projection or is it a slight exaggeration? Uh? So this is a very difficult issue. You know, you referred to the fact that uh, leaders of our two countries have supported each other in their freedom movements. And, you know, I would also say that India has been in one way or the other associated with all the seminal changes that have taken place in Nepal, you know, from the end of the Rana autocracy to the end of the Panchayat uh, years and the ushering in of multi-party democracy and constitutional monarchy, then to the days of the peace process and the establishment of a republic, the andolans in the Tarai, the Madhesi andolans. So India has been in some way or the, or the other associated with all these uh, uh, developments. And I dare say that uh, if you look back historically, I think India has been on the side of the aspirations of the people. India has been on the side of a progressive democracy, a more inclusive democracy uh, in Nepal. And I think in this process, uh, the ruling elites of the day uh, naturally get riled. For instance, you know, when Pandit Nehru had criticized uh, the, the abolition of multi-party democracy in 1960, uh, uh, it was projected in Nepal as being against Nepal, which was really not the case. It was against the decision of the monarch. Uh, uh, and, you know, there was this feeling of sort of anti-India nationalism uh, that emerged from that whole episode. So if you look at India's stance in any of these seminal developments, so the ruling elites perhaps have not been very happy uh, 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 with India's position or uh, India's role of the time. And so there's always been this sentiment uh, uh, in Nepal that India is micromanaging. So I don't know whether it's micromanaging or intervention at a more strategic level, but I think overall in our perception, we feel that we have supported uh, progressive democratic change, uh, uh, inclusive democratic change uh, in Nepal. Uh, the other point I do want to mention is that, you know, this micromanagement is not a one-way street. You can micromanage if, if both sides are agreeable. And in my book, I've referred to, you know, certain instances uh, 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 where, you know, your perhaps uh, uh, advice or opinion is sought. And this is in very genuine uh, uh, terms. It happens in many, many countries. You know, leadership is a very lonely office and leaders are very lonely people. Uh, 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 they don't really talk to too many people. So if you develop a relationship of mutual trust uh, at a high enough level, you tend to discuss issues that would otherwise seem to be, uh, you know, internal matters uh, and so on. And I think this has always been in a friendly way. And the third point I want to say is that it also depends so much on the personality of the um, individual, the personality of the ambassador. So not every ambassador is the same. 
but from my perspective, my uh, exhortation to all my colleagues was always to be very sensitive uh, to Nepal, uh, to the fact that the relationship between our two countries is asymmetric. Uh, so my advice to my officers was always to be very respectful, very mindful uh, of uh, Nepalese sensitivities in dealing with our Nepalese counterparts. But did the image that was projected in the media or in the civil society, did it bother you or did it make you uh, defensive as, as a diplomat? Well, it certainly bothered me. Uh, I don't think it made me defensive, but it certainly bothered me. And, you know, I believe in responding directly. So I don't like to sweep things under the carpet. And if, if you see in my tenure, I gave a lot of interviews, a lot of television debates and discussions. I faced a pretty difficult questioning also uh, from time to time, especially in 2015, which was a very difficult time uh, in Nepal. So I think it's best to discuss issues in an open and transparent manner. And it's important for both sides to present their own position. So I presented the position as we saw it. And I think that was appreciated and respected by, by the Nepalese people. You have been listening to Pods by PEI. I am Kushihan. This is a quick reminder to all of you to do us a favor by sharing us on social media and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show. Now, let's get back to the conversation between Anurag and Ambassador Ray. Ambassador Ray, when we talk about Nepal-India ties, we always tend to focus more on the political side, the geopolitics, the treaties, and the controversies, about, about which we will discuss more later in the conversation. But tell us more about uh, India's role in Nepal uh, as a closest neighbor and as a long-standing development partner, which often remains uh, understated in public discourse, at least on, on our side. So I believe that we have to anchor our relationship uh, uh, on the economic partnership, on the development partnership between our two countries. I think that is fundamental uh, to establishing good political relations uh, as well. You know, we have enormous civilizational ties, huge historical relationships. But I think going into the future, this is the fundamental aspect that we have to strengthen. And I've already referred to developing this common integrated market. So the way I look at it, my vision for the future is that we must have excellent connectivity, whether it is land connectivity, railway connectivity, waterways, digital, integrated check posts. So we are thereby creating the infrastructure where you can have seamless movement of goods and people, and it will benefit both countries, one. Secondly, Nepal's comparative advantage is in the field of water, the water resources. And, you know, 50% of the water flows in the uh, river Ganga at Farakka come from rivers in Nepal. So you can imagine how, you know, this is like an umbilical cord that ties India to Nepal. And this is Nepal's comparative advantage, how to utilize this water for the benefit of Nepal and for the benefit of India, for mutual benefit, whether it is through hydropower, whether it is through flood control measures, whether it is through irrigation, 
whether it is drinking water. So I think this is this huge untapped potential. And I'm very happy to say that in recent years, and especially in recent months, huge strides have been made uh, to strengthen and develop hydropower cooperation between our two countries. We have Indian public sector companies that are engaged in uh, you know, more than 3,200 megawatts of uh, hydropower generation. We have a government-to-government hydropower project, the Pancheshwar project, which is more than 5,000 megawatts. Together, these projects represent investments of over 10 billion US dollars. So you can imagine the kind of investment that is going to be uh, uh, injected into the Nepalese economy. So I am very bullish on this. And, you know, we have a vision statement on energy cooperation. And we are also implementing uh, what we have agreed. So Nepal is now exporting electricity to India on the spot market and generating huge revenues uh, during the rainy season. So I feel very bullish about this kind of development cooperation, uh, economic cooperation between our two countries. And the last aspect, of course, is that India has been very closely associated since the time of the Rana, uh, you know, since the time that Rana autocracy ended in the development of infrastructure, whether it is roads and highways or airports uh, in the country. Uh, if you look at some of the hospitals, the educational institutions. So India has been a very major partner for Nepal uh, during the earthquake, you know, a, a renovation of schools and houses. So India is very proud and privileged to be a strong development partner of Nepal. And I think this aspect of the relationship will continue. The small development projects that we are doing virtually in every district of Nepal. Uh, so at the grassroots level also we are, you know, reaching the people and they can see for themselves this development cooperation between our two countries. So I feel uh, this partnership unfortunately is not publicized enough. People are not aware of, you know, the media space and the television uh, 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 sort of uh, coverage relates to the political, more contentious, um, you know, more difficult issues, uh, sometimes ignoring the sort of real nuts and bolts, you know, the meat of the relationship. Well, that was my next question to you. I mean, uh, you've, you've mentioned so many facets of this relationship, and, and we do know that, you know, there is some tendency to underappreciate this, uh, you know, side of the relationship, at least on our side. But tell us, is there that tendency also in the Indian side, especially, uh, you know, among the sections of the foreign policy establishment in India, which uh, focuses more on the securitized aspect of this relationship? Well, I, I dare say, yes, I, you know, the securitized aspects of the relationship certainly uh, gain more attention because, the, you know, these are more dramatic developments, more immediate, whereas the economic partnership is long term. But I think as far as the government of India is concerned, economic diplomacy is now a very central pillar of our uh, cooperation, especially in the neighborhood. And this, I'm referring not only to bilateral cooperation, but also at the regional level, you know, at the BBIN level, which is Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Nepal uh, cooperation. So this is certainly getting uh, a lot more attention uh, 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 nowadays. Well, I'll also give you an example. In 2015, when the earthquake struck in Nepal, India was swift in its uh, response. And, and was among the first to arrive here with its aid and, and relief material. Uh, 
numerous other times uh, it has been uh, you know uh, immediate in its response uh, especially when the floods have occurred in in tarai uh, and and there have been other recurring disasters in other parts of nepal and has uh, also funded important development initiatives as you've already mentioned that you've you've also talked about this uh, at length in your book uh, you know kathmandu dilemma resetting india nepal ties we've we've seen uh, countries like china and united states investing significantly in their uh, public diplomacy talking about you know uh, this uh, development partnership and other various uh, facets of uh, you know bilateral relationships do you think uh, Uh, India is missing the bus over here by, uh, you know, focusing more on uh, the nuanced uh, and and historical aspect of this relationship uh, that we talk about, roti beti narrative. I mean, like, which are very very important, of course. But also, you know, is it uh, disregarding other critical, you know, mass and stakeholder groups in Nepal uh, in its uh, engagement by entirely putting the onus on inter interactions between uh, the people of Simanchal area, the Madhesi people. You know, it's a very interesting question. During the earthquake, our first planes carrying assistance arrived six hours after the earthquake, and India was the largest uh, uh, partner. And you know, I think our overall assistance was over sixty-five million uh, U.S. dollars, and then we pledged a billion U.S. dollars uh, for reconstruction. Uh, so you know, we I think India. It's not only the government, but the people of India also opened their hearts and minds uh, and contributed uh, to this uh, relief effort in Nepal. And you know, our sense was that you know we uh, acted in such a way that you know it, it's very close and friendly neighbor which has been badly affected. So it's only natural that we should go out uh, and help. and of course uh, uh, you know some of the uh, uh, developments in that period and some of the media criticism that uh, we faced was a little uh, unfair i think and i refer to it in my in my book uh, that you know people in delhi were quite surprised when uh, we saw some of the reactions you know that the indian army has come in it will not go back the indians have taken over tribhuvan airport or india is supplying substandard uh, uh, relief material so you know people back home just couldn't understand where this was coming from and in my book i've explained in great detail as to the complexities uh, uh, of this relationship but coming back to your point are we focusing too much on roti beti and simanchal relationships uh, i don't think so i think you know this roti beti is a very ancient old relationship even before you know modern nation states uh, developed so it's a very fundamental aspect i mean this is a unique aspect of the relationship and it's not only simanchal it's also kathmandu valley uh, with india so many families from here uh, uh, are married uh, uh, into into indian families so that's certainly very important but i said earlier it is we have to anchor our relationship in the future on the development cooperation we have to create a situation where every neighbor of ours benefits from the india growth story i think this is this is the challenge and this is what we have to achieve through our multiple connectivity uh, and other initiatives and in terms of engaging in terms of public diplomacy uh, it's you know india is engaged with all sections uh, of opinion and 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 society and you know i think uh, 
we need to do much more and especially in terms of reaching out to the youth uh you know both our countries are young countries we have new leaders younger parliamentarians people who don't have the kind of relationship that uh you know politicians of the two countries had say 50 or 60 years ago uh you know we have new generations of politicians in both countries new aspirations the world is more globalized new opportunities so i think we have to make much more effort to reach out to an entire cross section of the political leadership the youth leadership the civil society organizations media youth organizations so i think uh, it's not that we are doing less but i think we need to do more point taken there uh, besides being a close and friendly neighbor to nepal india is of course a rising power in the region which has uh, you know deep uh, geopolitical interests in the region as well uh it has been a hard negotiator when it comes down to its own interests we've seen that uh, lately on the matters of cross border energy trade uh not just with nepal but also you know between nepal uh, india and bangladesh um how challenging is it for an indian diplomat engaging in nepal to manage both aspects of the job personally have you faced a dilemma or contradicted your own approaches and actions while trying to meet the double ask of the job well uh, you know it's uh, you have to place the india nepal relationship within the context of india's overall foreign policy or even the overall neighborhood policy and as i said connectivity integration is a fundamental aspect of our overall neighborhood policy and so energy becomes so important Now if you look at our BBIN region India is exporting energy to Bangladesh India is importing energy from Bhutan India is buying and selling energy to and from Nepal and transmission lines exist between each of these countries and India so you already have the key elements of a sub-regional energy market now the only thing that you have to do is develop these guidelines and the procedures and you will have the sub regional market so i don't think the day is very far when nepal will sell to bangladesh through india when bhutan will sell to bangladesh through indian transmission lines and we should facilitate this process because see our overall goal is a common integrated economic space in this region so if our countries are tied in economically through hydropower i think some of the political issues in the relationship will also get resolved so this is a strategic vision but sometimes what happens is in the process of developing all these guidelines and things you know some difficulties arise for instance historically our view has been that we want to deal only bilaterally with bangladesh we'll deal bilaterally with nepal we'll deal bilaterally we won't deal you know with the four countries together because the other three might then join up against our interests so that kind of mentality or thinking is old think and i think that is changing that has changed because we see that the strategic vision is a common economic space so it is good for india if nepal and bangladesh are trading through india because it is tying in the economies of these countries so this is where sometimes you have these dilemmas but it's a work in progress so you're constantly 
talking, discussing with the concerned actors, with the concerned uh, ministries. And on our global aspirations, I think it's very important to have good neighborly relations in order to achieve your global aspirations. If your neighborhood is unstable, if your neighborhood is in difficulty, I think that is your priority before you can think about uh, global aspirations. So I think, you know, even to achieve your global aspirations, your neighborhood policy is critical. Thank you, Ambassador Ray, for that conversation. With this, we come to the end of the first episode of this uh, conversation. We will continue this conversation in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Pods by PEI. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation between Anurag and Ambassador Ray on India's evolving role in Nepal and the reshaping of the bilateral relationship between the two countries. Please do not forget to listen in to the second half of the conversation next week, where Anurag gets Ambassador Ray to discuss details about his engagement with Nepal and its messy politics, as well as his proposition on how to reset Nepal-India ties. Today's episode is a part of PEI series on managing India, China, and the U.S. in a new world order. It was produced by Nijan Rai with support from Saurabh Lama. The episode was recorded at Mint Studio and edited by Saurabh Lama. Our theme music is courtesy of Sanjay Shrestha from 1974-80. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. Also, please do us a favor by sharing us on social media and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to the show. For PEI's video-related content, please search for Policy Entrepreneurs on YouTube. To catch the latest from us on Nepal's policy and politics, please follow us on Twitter at Tweet2PEI. That's T-W-E-E-T followed by the number 2 and P-E-I and on Facebook at Policy Entrepreneurs, Inc. You can also visit PEI.Center to learn more about us. Thanks again from me, Kushi Han. We will see you soon in our next episode.